Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Soup Fest. Lots of slurping. Also, a second plane has arrived from the Wuhan province at Trenton. And do you have a lemon? Can we make lemonade out of it? Not if it's your car. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, We're at Soup Fest 2020, and uh, it is just officially getting underway. They have just piped in the... uh, uh, the, the main guests and such and the uh, those providing the official opening, uh, the National Anthem, all of that stuff, and now people are eating soup. Uh, and this is a great, great event. Uh, soup Fest 2020 edition, Convention Center, downtown Hamilton, lots of ways to get here, uh, including a free shuttle bus coming from Lime Ridge and Bayfront Park. And we're open until 7.30 tonight. The judging going on, uh, I believe, at around 7 o'clock. And uh, we have uh, all kinds of great uh, restaurants here from the greater Hamilton area. And this is a great chance for you to sample some soups and and, and check out some of the restaurants that you may have uh, thought of, 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 uh, of patronizing. And, and this is a great way to do it and see what those restaurants are all about. Uh, Liz Russell running uh, Shotgun. She is the official soup wrangler today. <laughs> she is every soup fest. And uh, goes around and just basically whatever, I guess, catches your eye, you're going to go for, right? Oh, pretty much. It's and, just, I, if, if I see something that sounds appealing, I'm going to grab it. I'll bring it on over. All right. So what did you bring by for the first round so for us? I went with our neighbors. We have uh, soup vendors on either side of us. We're so, surrounded by soup. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so the first one is Lancaster Eatery, and it's a vegan kimchi. Right. Uh, and then the second one is Smoking Candy Barbecue Jalapeno Con Queso. And uh, I thought you said smoke and kidney when you first initially Yeah, no, told it's not smoking it kidney. <laughs> it's not smoking kidney, it's smoking candy. Oh, yes. that sounds a bit more appetizing than the smoking <laughs> kidney. All right, I uh, I, I love the, uh, the jalapeno, what was it? Jalapeno con queso. Okay, that was very nice. It, it was- comes complete with a tortilla or a tortilla mm-hmm. chip in it. Uh, which, you know, anytime you get free food like that on the side, to me, it's like a Caesar drink. It's an extra added bonus. Which one did you like? I actually really liked the kimchi. It was yeah. spicy. It's got a nice they both have part kick. of it. Yeah, it yeah. very much a kick. <laughs> all right. What are you heading down to next? You know, I have you just, no you, clue. I'm going right. to, I haven't wandered around yet. So this will be my first lap around. Are you actually going to vote? Uh, maybe. You should. I really should. And uh, I think everyone should. Best soup, <laughs> most creative soup, best display as well, and tastiest heart smart soup as uh, just uh, the four categories that are being judged. So uh, check it out. Come and join us. And uh, Liz is out uh, perusing around for the next <laughs> coupons in hand, looking for the next bowl of uh, soup. All right, let's move on. Uh, the second plane has arrived at CFB Trenton uh, from the Wuhan province. This was after it had touched down in Vancouver. Uh, 185 passengers on board. They refueled there and uh, in, uh, sorry, Richmond, British Columbia, and then continued on uh, towards Trenton. To find out more about all, the, all of this, give us an update. Morgan Campbell is with us, digital video journalist, Global News. She is with us now. Morgan, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about the latest arrivals that have come in? When did the plane touch down this morning early? Yeah, so the plane touched down at about uh, 6.15. Their protocol here at the base is that if anyone uh, was showing any signs or symptoms of coronavirus, let's keep in mind they weren't allowed to board the plane if they showed any of those signs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could develop over, you know, in excess of a 20-hour flight. Right. Um, they would be deplaned first. The good news is nobody is showing any signs right now. So what they're doing 
is they're doing the deplaning in groups of 40. Right. So essentially, the plane pulls out, um, on, is, is on the tarmac in front of a hangar. You go into the hangar, and welcome to airport security. Yeah, <laughs> you go yeah. through the CPSA process, then the various health screening processes, and then you sit down with the Red Cross before being bused across the base to Yukon Lodge. It's a grouping of about three hotels here on base. It's usually used for military men and, and women um, coming and going. And uh, these new evacuees won't be, you know, mixed in or fraternizing with, with the other uh, folks who arrived on Friday. They will be in their own section of a hotel. Uh, is there enough room for everybody? We had heard some issues that some of the families uh, were all in one room, and if that's for adults, could get kind of cramped. Any, any more on any of that? Well, my understanding is that there that there there is plenty of room. Um, the reason why they're keeping them, they they wanted to keep those family units together. So if you know you're a family of four, you're going to be in in one room. Um, I mean, tight quarters. I can't imagine what that would be yeah. like over over a two week period. I also want to quickly mention that they have brought in some mental health supports to help these these evacuees out. I mean, for the folks who just arrived on Friday, they've only been here for a few days, but um, I'm 14 days is a long time mm-hmm. to be in a small room. These guys are allowed out. Um, they can take the kids outside to blow off some steam in a fenced-in area. Um, but again, all movements are monitored. They're being tested daily for coronavirus. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I doubt it's much like a like a holiday Scott. Yeah. Uh, any more on the families that have, are the people that have come in? Uh, are they families? Are they tourists? Are they uh, business people? Anything more on any of the profiles? They're not. Uh, the government's kind of holding a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, quite uh, close to the chest. Not releasing many details about who these people are. I can tell you that from being here on Friday, Scott. Uh, you know, they had um, an area where we were shooting kind of through a chain link fence, the deplaning, the people coming off with their masks on. Uh, this time around, they've brought in big um, government of Canada buses that are parked, you know, nose to nose to block off any sites, mm. trying to protect these people's identity. Um, so they're not uh, they're not very forthcoming with that information at this point. But again, we do know that no one. Um, on either, I mean, technically, there have been three planes. You had your first plane that arrived, and then the American chartered a plane that arrived a few hours after on Friday, and then this right. third plane. This is the last plane, though, uh, according to uh, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, that will be chartered um, to Wuhan. So they are asking folks who are in the Hubaya province um, to get out by commercial means while they still can. Hmm. So that's it for all of the uh, the flights or evacuation uh, through the uh, Canadian government. Uh, are there many At left back? Now. Are, are there many back there that we know of that still wanted out? Well, there's the numbers tend to fluctuate, Scott. Right. I would say almost every hour. Right. Um, so it's it's really hard to pinpoint it. I mean, the other day it was. Um, 300, then I saw a number of 250, but then we have 178 that, you know, actually made the trek today. Um, so the numbers are kind of up and down. I've also heard reports that folks have um, signed up to, you know, hop onto a chartered plane and then were no-shows at the airport or mm. were turned away because maybe they were sick with the common cold. Um, so those numbers are still fluctuating at this point. 
Uh, what about cost? Uh, I mean, obviously, those that came out would be uh, flown out uh, through the Canadian government, but those that would have to com- uh, catch commercial flights afterwards, any idea if they're reimbursed or you've you know, got so much time within that time frame to, to apply if not you're on your own? Any, any, any chatter on that? Now, they haven't released many details um, about that. I will say that since being here, we had an opportunity on Thursday last week to uh, tour the premises, you know, to go through the hangar where they were doing all the screening. They explained off camera what they were going to do, and then they took us over to Yukon Lodge. Same there, they explained off camera. But in terms of, you know, Public Affairs Canada actually offering up a warm body to give some of that information to us, mm. um, it's, 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 you know, just not happening. Um, and that's not, uh, and that's not because we haven't tried. I mean, we've been putting in media requests since Wednesday of last week. I even put one in as, as, you know, on Saturday when we were here Saturday morning. Um, I think this is in, this is the case where a lot of the messaging is going to come out of Ottawa. It's going to come from the Foreign Affairs Minister. And they're really controlling what information is, is out there at this point will there be a debrief maybe in the middle of the week this is how it went this is what we expected this is what didn't work so well that that could be something but i mean this is such a touchy subject scott that Mm. that you know that may or may not happen any idea what happens after 14 days the doors just open up and they're free to go do we know yeah so my understanding is that yeah when when the time is up that they are able to go home. Let's hmm. keep in mind, other than the handful of people we've had an opportunity to speak with on Skype, we don't know where these people even live in Canada, yeah. what part of Canada they live in. So this is really an instance, Scott, where their their lives, you know, the pause button has been hit, and and uh, there's kind of a lot of, of unknowns as to what's next and, and how they're going to get home. I mean, I'm sure that there will be some sort of of uh, transportation to um, a local airport. I know that some commercial flights do go out of CSB Trenton, um, smaller aircraft. Right. So, I mean, they could be flown out of, uh, of, out of Trenton. Um, but again, I, I suspect those details will come a little bit closer, Scott, to the end of that 14-day period. Uh, what about the response from the town and those around the base? I'm so happy that you asked me about this. I, I wanted to paint a bit of a picture of that. The folks who live here um, are the type of people who wear Fred on Fridays in support of their military. This is uh, Canada's largest uh, air base, and it's really the hub of air movement. So there's more than 3,000 people that work here on this base day in and day out. So as you can imagine, community support for any initiative that the base uh, takes part in is, is always through the roof. Um, but I've, I've had the chance to really stumble across some really sweet stories. I mean, everything from... Um, elementary school kids who are making valentines for mm. Friday um, to be del- delivered to evacuees to, you know, the guy who owns the grocery store who's sending over trays of sweets for the kids to donated Tim Hortons cards to service men and women, you know, as, as a thank you for the work that they're doing. Mind you, you know, I'm not going to look through this with rose-colored glasses. There are people who are concerned. Um, about the potential risk that it poses to the community. But I think that now that we're a few days in, some people are starting to kind of be rest assured that uh, that this really is being contained to a small area of the base. And, you know, the fact that nobody has tested positive um, as of yet for coronavirus. 
Uh, yes, because at what point are we not? How long has the first plane load been here? Uh, with incubation periods being what they are, is at what mm-hmm. point are they out of the woods? Do we know? Yeah, so it is the full 14 days. Yeah. That's the longest incubation period. Um, that's that's what the expert, the World Health Organization, is saying. So 14 days um, is when there will be a clear indication whether or not um, you have uh, picked it up. But let's keep in mind, too, that these these evacuees that are here um, weren't necessarily in, in Wuhan proper, you know what I mean? It, right. It's, um, they were somewhat removed from from the epicenter of, of where this virus was uh, was being transmitted. Any more on those that didn't make it on the plane? Uh, can we hear, is there many stories of those that were ill or too ill to be on the plane? Um, personally, for me, not a whole lot of chatter coming out on, on that at this point. Um, I think that when you factor in a time, sh- a time difference and, and, you know, the fact that they are so far away, uh, communication is hard. The government's not being very uh, forthcoming with any of those types of details. Um, but again, at this point, there are still commercial flights right. um, coming out of, uh, yep. of Hubei province, which is, is great news for those who still want to get out. Um, but I think that uh, as it stands right now, um, everyone who, who signed up to be um, uh, evacuated um, have have been given that opportunity at least if mm. if they were well enough to travel. Morgan Campbell has been with us, digital video journalist, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at five thirty and six for more on this. The second plane from Wuhan province in China has landed back in Canada. Morgan, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Absolutely, it was a pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's just a hustle and bustle of activity down here. Restaurants from all over the greater Hamilton area competing for best soup. And you, you get to help judge uh, in three different categories. So come on down. Uh, You get uh, some sample tickets with your admission in and all the proceeds go to help uh, Living Rock Ministries and the great job that they do with youth programs in and around the Hamilton area. Let's bring in, uh, obviously from uh, Living Rock, Karen Craig and Victoria is with her. Karen and Victoria, thanks for coming. Thank Put you. those on if you want. So another great successful event. I Absolutely. saw you had Al here for like five minutes and he had to take <laughs> off. We had an emergency with one of our musicians. So Uh-oh. yeah. So. <laughs> Al's filling in. <laughs> So another great event. I mean, this is just uh, my know, We're so excited. It's got such a positive vibe here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, it's just fabulous. So and I'm tell so us excited. about Victoria. Well, Victoria. Oh, yes. This is uh, Victoria. She's my ambassador this year. Ah. Victoria came to The Rock when she was 13 years old. Mm. And yeah. what a journey yeah. she's had with us. So and often you speak of the alumni coming back yeah, and giving back. back and helping out, which they I think is fabulous. I've always told them that they have to age until their 26th birthday, and then they're like, you can't come in and do whatever. But I still come back and help, and like, what I'll draw- always be coming back. What draws you back to this place? The people, like yeah, the staff. Yeah. Because I like I used to not like making connections with people, but right. honestly, I don't know. These people have helped me through a lot of stuff, and I've gone through. She said a- she really hated us when she came. I did. She <laughs> hated all of us. I was not a fan of like authority because I was the yeah. bad one that was like, I don't like you, and like I'll yeah. punch you. She but, called like, them I, birds. She yeah. called staff birds. I don't know if that's. No, that. I did not. <laughs> okay, yes, I did. But in my defense, I was 
I had a wall built because I go. didn't trust people, but eventually go. I did learn to trust them. You know, Victoria, the fact that you can come down here and sit in front of us and on the radio tell that story... That tells you how far you have come, leaps yeah, and bounds. Yeah, no, yeah. You know, you're telling it's us about, lot. you know, uh, avoiding authority, staying the way out of authority. Here yeah. you are, you know, uh, confident and holding your head up. Yeah. And yeah, here's what I had. I mean, that's yeah. great. No, yeah, that's it's great. fun. It's been fun. And she loved the incentives. Like, she loved to work for incentives. I told and her, she I told went to school for incentives. She didn't want to graduate. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They kept bribing me. Hey, I'll give you incentives. Hey, I'll give you incentives. And sure enough, like... I graduated when I was pregnant with my second kid in the backyard of the place that I used to do very not nice things. Yeah. And yeah. I graduated. And at it Notre was Dame, she, yeah. she was at the school, and she graduated there. Yeah. yeah. What do you say to young people that come up and approach you after you tell them your story? What, what do they say to you? What do they ask you? Nobody asks me anything, actually. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't have people ask me, really. So what, oh, yeah. what would you say to kids right now? Go to school. <laughs> Eat your vegetables. <laughs> Do what you're told because it's going to get you nowhere. And, coming if you back. Don't. and as a mom of three children, she's revisioning yeah, no, herself at The Rock. So she's a great organizer. She works, organizes the food bank, all the clothing in the food bank. She's got strong organizational skills. So somehow wow. she's going to use that. Not at home, but other places. Yeah. And well, she's isn't also that always the case? I don't think you'd be the only one <laughs> guilty of that. It's so much easier to clean other places and do other things for other I people know, than boy, it is oh to do boy. it in your own house. And she's also a singer. So she's going to sing here today. She's done. She's You did your own song. She's yeah, my solo will be song. performing today. Very and I've cool. recorded two other songs. And what's my favorite artist? line again? It's something about if I could build a wall. I could build me a wall full of bricks made of time I've wasted. Wow. And then like, yeah, no, there's a lot Man. more to it. You will hear She's the song. very honest. I don't know. I can only handle that it's right great. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Good for you. And Thanks. and bless you for coming back and spreading the word. My goodness. Yeah, Karen, you rock. must just be beaming when you hear yeah, stuff like that. Really proud of her. Uh, this is what it's all about. This is what Soup Fest is all about. This is what Living Rock is all about. Giving people like Victoria... Just a chance. That's all they need. She's off and running. And she's uh, also stepping up with Hockey Helps the Homeless. So I'm really, yeah, there's mm-hmm. company, there's a company, C, what is it again? FCT. FCT is yeah. fundraising this month and doing a huge tournament, trying to raise the Rock lots of money oh, for our, um, our breakfast program. Right. So, you know, this is all helping our life skills. Like we've got nine teams working at the Rock right now, nine crews yeah. working all the food services, all the janitorial, all the shipping and receiving for incentives. So it costs us, we average, it's about a thousand dollars a month, a uh, week to do that. Yeah. Like, cause we, we give them incentives yeah. to do work. Yeah. And well, that's, that's what, what keeps about. them coming. Yeah, so. no, I work for incentives. I'm not going to lie. It helps. Like, that's it's what good. it's about. It that's it what it's about. And that's where your money goes when you help Living Rock and when you come down and sor- uh, support events like Soup Fest. On until 7.30 tonight, the judging around 7 o'clock or so, it's all happening at the Hamilton Convention Center. Soup Fest 2020. Thank you, ladies. Thank yeah, music you. Music all day. All right. Uh, rotating st- uh, teacher strikes continue. And today, Tuesday, all day, Uh, The kids are out from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario right the way across the province. Uh, And nobody knows where it's really going to go from here. Obviously, all four school unions uh, uh, for elementary school teachers are taking part in the province-wide strike today. Uh, That seems to be ramping up. Let's bring in Travis Danraj, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. He is with us now. Travis, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime, Scott. All right, I'll put your order in for soup after the show, all right? Yeah, you you're hang making on. me hungry. I know, exactly. I not lunch yet. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, where are we with this, Travis? Man, it just seems like both sides are locked down hard. Uh, is is either side showing any sign of, of budging here at all? Well, it's Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah. Uh, we are back in the same spot that we were 
uh, last week. Uh, almost a million students in this province out of class with both sides digging in. Uh, and we are no further ahead than we were on any of the key issues than we were uh, a week ago or so. Um, so what happens moving forward? I mean, I've been trying to look into a crystal ball and, and answer that question for weeks now, but I mean... We are in a situation where the legislature is going to resume next Tuesday. Uh, they're back from their winter break, which was, you know, a couple of months long or so. And the question is whether or not back-to-work legislation will be in the cards. Um, you know, from looking at the situation as it stands right now, it's not feasible at this point, at least when you look at uh, history, because if you look at the Mike Harris era, the teachers were out for about five to six weeks or so. And the government needs to prove that the school year is in jeopardy. Because the unions this time are doing rotating strikes, uh, they have not been out for anywhere near to five or six weeks. So the government, can they can try to make a case, but uh, they can, you know, whether or not it, it, it is feasible for them to say that the school year is in jeopardy. At this point, it doesn't look like that they're going to go down that road. So this could go on for some time. So under this uh, current schedule of rotating strikes and then out usually once a week, so I guess most uh, boards get hit at least twice a week, yeah. how long does that have to move forward before the government says, all right, we've lost enough time? Like, as you were saying, it's not, a, it's not on a continuous basis, but how long do we go into this template before they pull the plug? Yeah, so it, it's kind of, and I mean, this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but there, there's a, uh, a public appointment uh, body. It's a commission, it's an education relations commission, I believe it's called. And this is five public appointees that the government goes to when they want advice as to whether or not the school year is in jeopardy. Uh, previously, like I said, they haven't gone to that body until we have reached that five or six week point for advice to say, okay, yeah, school year's in jeopardy. Okay, uh, Stephen Lecce, this is what the commission says. We can now legislate back to work. Um, they have not done that yet. The, the ministry has not asked the commission to look into that. So, uh, I mean, they could do that, but whether or not they come back with the recommendation that it is, it is unlikely. Um, when we get to that point, well, I was talking to Harvey Bischoff the other day, who's the president of the OSFTF, the high school teachers union. He said, we're not going to get to that point. Um, within this school year if this keeps going the way it's going. Mm. Um, so, uh, I don't know. The government's going to have to do something here. But, uh, you know, the, the public support is really uh, a key factor. And whether or not the public is on side with the teachers' unions or the government, and right now it seems as though the teachers have a little bit of an advantage on that side mm. of things. Uh, you talked about the ledge going back on Tuesday. Uh, how is that going to change things, uh, especially with debating this? Well, certainly we are going to see more of Stephen Lecce. He is, uh, you know, and for a minister who was kind of out front of this at the beginning of all of these strikes, we have not seen a lot of him for the past two weeks or so. We've seen, you know, some statements, one or two media interviews, but certainly not the uh, full-court press that we saw initially uh, him in front of the microphones all the time. So we are going to start seeing that more after question period. The opposition is going to have the opportunity to ask the government questions and, and push them on this issue. So it's going to be in the spotlight, and the Premier uh, likely will have to answer questions as well. I mean, he could defer them to the education minister, which he likely will, but he's going to be uh, under a, a lot more pressure now to make something happen now that the legislature is resuming. And parents are, are getting frustrated, frankly, yeah. with the fact that they have to deal with child care every week now. 
Uh, do you think that things are kind of on hold now until they get back to the ledge? It seems that everything's kind of stalled now. Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't think that you're going to see any movement when it comes to this uh, in the next couple of days until we get to next Tuesday or so. Um, and, you know, from talking to sources here, their government has some other priorities that they want to get through when the legislature gets back. Obviously, this is an issue that is affecting so many parents, so many students, but it's also one that Premier Ford has kind of put a, a, a line in the sand saying we are not going to be moving on teachers' compensation. It's 1%, it's not going to be 2%, and that's it. So, I mean, whether or not uh, that changes, I, I could see them moving on things like perhaps class sizes, e-learning, um, but on compensation, which the government at least claims is the big issue, I don't see them moving on that. Uh, e-learning and class size seems to be the big one on the sides of the union. That being said, I, I think we're like three students apart on this in the secondary system and one student apart in the elementary system and uh, two courses for e-learning uh, for the schools. I mean, why doesn't everybody just split that in half and call it a day? Well, I mean, and we, and we could get to that point where if there was binding arbitration. If we are in a situation where, uh, you know, miraculously there is some, some kind of back-to-work legislation, that would trigger binding arbitration. And the, the mediator or the, the arbitrator usually just looks at the situation and says, okay, what does everybody want here? You want 2%, you want 1%, okay, we're going to go with 1.5. Yeah. Uh, we're going to cut the e-learning course from 2 to 1 or 1.5. And, and, you know, everyone have a great day. Um, we're not inviting arbitration yet, and there are no dates with the mediator set for ETFO or OSSTF or OEXA, for that matter, uh, to resume talking. Uh, and we also are going to see the French teachers out for the first time on the picket line later this week on Friday. Uh, what about essential service? Any talk of that or of them deeming this an essential service, or is this a conversation they're not even having now? So we haven't, and, you know, we have asked, uh, the Premier that previously, we've asked the Education Minister that previously, they don't want to go there just yet. Certainly, um, that is a conversation likely to be happening uh, in the halls, the back halls of Queen's Park, uh, and how they manage the situation. Um, it hasn't been anything that they've been talking publicly about, uh, though, uh, in the past little while, but, I mean, certainly it's something that they could be looking at. Uh, I was ha- I had a chat with somebody on the radio yesterday, and they were talking about, uh, from the union side, that Lecce was, uh, I guess, uh, raised in the private school system, and Sam Usteroff, who uh, ha- has been his assistant on all of this, was homeschooled. Is that story generating any, any sort of traction? Do people care? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if people necessarily care. And I mean, too, uh, I, I mean, I asked uh, Stephen Lachey about that one of the first interviews when he became the education minister. And he said, you know, I did go to Catholic school. I did go to uh, private school as well. But I, I don't think that necessarily that's a, a huge factor for people. I think, you know, some of the folks on, on Twitter will get up in arms about that. But, I, I mean, really... It, He's not at the bargaining table. He has a bargaining team that has gone through this multiple times before, and the marching orders that he has are from the Premier. I mean, the other day, Andrew Horvath came to the mic and said that she wants the Premier to replace the education minister. I don't think if you had any other education minister that portfolio that the government stance would change miraculously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not Stephen Lecce here who's making the, the final call. It is Doug Ford. 
Uh, it seems that ECT, uh, ECFO, uh, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, is taking the lead on this. Uh, you were just saying that uh, the French system now uh, jumping into the fray. It seems to be that uh, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario is leading uh, this. Where are the, the other unions on this, high school and such, and, and how come it's more about ECFO? Yeah, and well, it's more about ECFO because uh, they have the strongest membership. I mean, they have 83,000 members, right? right? And, and also... Um, when the high school students are out, and we've talked about this before, uh, there's less of an impact when it comes to child care. Uh, this becomes more of an issue when elementary kids are out of class and parents need to uh, find child care. There's more of a focus on, okay, students are out of class today. Um, ETFO is a very strong union. So is OSSTF. And you saw OSSTF at the beginning ramp up pretty uh, you know, they, they were the first to ramp up to go out on the picket line with their rotating strikes. But then once ETFO started to, they ramped up a lot quicker. So I, I think that you are seeing solidarity with the unions right now. The Catholic teachers, uh, they did have a negotiating date. I think it was last week on Monday. They were out on Tuesday, and there are no further dates scheduled. But you saw, at least with the Catholic teachers, uh, a, a more toned-down statement come from the Ministry of Education. When EPFO talks broke off, the statement was very harsh from the, from the minister's office. Yeah. Not so much with the Catholics. So I think, you know, if, if I was uh, a betting man, I, I would say, you know, to play this out, probably you're going to see uh, a deal first with maybe the French teachers or the Catholic teachers, and then they'll get to the mm. big unions. But the big unions, EPFO and OSSTF, they're going to be out for a little while. Uh, last question, Travis. I know you got to run. Um, we, we hear that uh, the strike vote was overwhelming, like 95, 97% of those that voted were in favor of the strike. Do we ever hear the numbers about how many teachers actually vote? Is it? Because no. I've heard numbers in around less than 50. Yeah, no. And, I mean, that is something uh, that is, is interesting, right? Because it's 97% of members, but members that actually took the time to go and cast uh, a vote yeah. in this. So we have not heard about that. And, and you know, uh, we have heard in the newsroom, we get tips sometimes from teachers that are actually don't want to be out on the picket line, yeah. that don't uh, agree with some of their colleagues. However, they are uh, they don't want to talk publicly about that sure. because they're afraid of getting backlash from some of their colleagues. So, I mean, yeah, those those folks are out there. The majority are in solidarity with one another, but certainly it's not like 100% of all teachers agree with this stance. And I guess unions have those numbers but won't release that information? Well, I, I, I there, you know, this is both sides, when it comes to both sides, and I was talking to uh, our newsroom about this this morning, it, it's very difficult to cover this story uh, on an ongoing basis yeah. because both sides are saying the same thing over and yeah. over again. Yeah. And when it comes to the strike numbers, yeah, they're just saying 97% of our membership voted uh, for, for this, but they're not saying how many people actually voted in the uh, yeah. in, in in the vote there. So, so I mean, yeah, it becomes difficult. Like, how do you do this story again? But I mean, certainly it is something that is uh, affecting a lot of people. And you know, we're into February, and just a reminder: the contracts for teachers expired in August. 2018. Man. Seems like a long time ago. All right. Uh, you can hear the fatigue in everybody's voice. Uh, Travis Danrosh <laughs> has been with us, Queen's Park Bureau Chief. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Travis, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. 
Scott, thank you. We are broadcasting live from Soup Fest 2020. It smells great in here. And uh, tons of people coming and going. It started with a bang at 11.30 this morning. The lunch crowd kind of thinning out and the mid-afternoon crowd coming in. This is a great opportunity uh, for you to come down and sample some of the great restaurants in the greater Hamilton uh, area. And they are all competing for best soup. There's uh, judged on three different categories. So they're putting their best foot forward for bragging rights here. And when you come in... Uh, and you purchase a ticket, it allows you so many uh, bowls of soup, and then it's up to you to try to judge this. And good luck with that. We've sampled about 12 so far, and it's a tough job. All right, we're going to bring in some more of the organizers here for Soup Fest. Uh, Rob Hooper is with us, and he's brought uh, one of the youth from Living Rock, Tim, with him. Welcome, guys. Great to have you here. I'll start with you, Rob. Uh, What do you do? What's your role at Living Rock? Uh, I'm simply a volunteer. My office, uh, I'm a lawyer, and uh, I practice law about a, uh, a, a chip away from the Living Rock, and I've been involved for 17 years in Soup Fest, along with other programs like their Tri-Rock program, Bless the Block program, and uh, just a great organization. Uh, my law firm stood behind them. Mm. I wouldn't even say behind them, beside them uh, for the last almost 20 years, and uh, it's been a great partnership. What got you and your firm interested in this way back when? Why do you continue the support with this organization? What is it about Living Rock? Well, I think I think there are two things about it. The uh, grassroots nature of it, that just it's a place for yeah. kids and the youth. There's lots of opportunity from food banks to Tri Rock to the weekend program, uh, getting a shower, getting some advice, um, attending a church service, you name it. It's uh, almost one-stop shopping. Uh, and it's a different atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah, there's just there. It, it's almost as je ne sais quoi that you can't yeah. can't describe. And and really, the second thing about that the organization is, um, you know, I'm I'm not getting any younger, and mm. uh, somebody somebody's going to run this city after us. Mm. And uh, mm. uh, I know Scott, you're you're close to my age, and and guys like Tim, that he's going to be the mayor, he's going to be the captain yeah. of the fire fire department here he he's going to do something you know he started at 13 going to the living rock um uh, he just recently they had some uh, funding issues with their weekend program and it wasn't al or karen craig writing a letter to the funders it, it was this young man wow and uh as a result of that the the weekend program has been revived with new vibrant funding and it's all because of the young lad beside me and he got his skills started at the Living Rock. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you How did you make this happen? How you, so, so fun, uh, programs in danger on the weekend because of lack of funding. What did you do? How did that work out? Well, there was a contest initially. It was CHCH. They had yeah. a contest where if you could tell CHCH why you think that a certain uh, organization or a charity deserved a $10,000 grant, then they would win. Wow. So... The Living Rock didn't win that, but I initially wrote a letter saying why I think they should win, right. and one of the donors, or potential donors, that heard that uh, decided to donate $8,000, and it saved the weekend program. Wow. How did that make you feel when um, you've done all that work and put your best foot forward that way and don't get the big prize, but man, second's pretty good. Yeah, I honestly... I was in disbelief at first. I didn't think that something as simple as that made yeah. them donate, but uh, yeah, it feels pretty good. So, what do you? What did you get out of Living Rock? How? What would you say to other kids that are thinking about walking through the door? Why did it work for you? Um, 
when I was still in, well, I'm still in school, but when I was going to school uh, in grade nine, yeah, getting a, a meal every morning really helped me focus, mm-hmm. and uh, it helped keep me out of trouble, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started going when I was 13. I've been going for seven years now, so are you amazed, a lot to me. Are you amazed at how many people circle around and come back and give back? I was talking to Victoria earlier on, who who uh, had been there at an earlier age and then still comes back to help out and spread the word, I guess, after you've found success, after something works, you want to pass that along to others. Same with you? Yeah, um, I didn't initially think that I'd be going to The Rock this often, or this long. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess with all they've given to me, it only seems fair to give back. Great idea. If there's youth out there that are thinking about taking that step and walking through the door, any advice to them? What would you say to them? What do you say to new kids that come in? Um, I guess just you know, be yourself. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't try to uh, make everyone happy because you can't. Yeah. Just, uh, That's a good point. Yeah. Boy, it's amazing the life lessons you learn from these kids over time. Well, I think I think Scott that lots of us uh, quote adults uh, think that we're, we're mentoring them and teaching them, but uh, from my experience at Living Rock and through Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, I learn as much from from guys like the guy on my left, and and maybe more than he gets from me. I'm going to get from him, yeah. and uh, uh, it keeps me youthful. And so, uh, so fantastic what they teach you. Uh, Rob Hooper with us from Hooper Law. Thank you for everything that you do for Living Rock and within the community. Tim, congratulations! Great. Keep going. Keep moving forward, man. Thanks, Appreciate so it. Thanks for telling your story. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, we're at Soup Fest 2020 edition and uh, encouraging you to come down and, and check all this out. All right. Let's move on. I can't see my script here for soup. Uh, Canada's alternative to the lemon laws. Uh, these are basically if you go and you buy a car and, you know, you buy a brand new car and then all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, you just have uh, repair after repair after repair. And then you realize, man, like there's nothing about this car that's any good. Uh, and uh, uh, there is an alternative to a lemon law. Is it effective? It Does it work? Will it work? Let's bring in George Any Automotive Protect- uh, Protection Association and is with us now. George, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Hello. George, what, what what sort of recourse do we have if we buy what we think is a, is a lemon? What is the law? How is how does it stand now? What what sort of recourse do we have? Well, when you buy um, most consumer goods, if the product is defective, usually you give it back and it's exchanged, or um, it it can you get a refund. I mean, for a bigger appliance, they're going to make service calls during the warranty. But if it's really bad, what you want is to be able to give it back. Now, cars are different. The auto warranty, um, the retailer never takes the car back yeah. unless uh, they're really ordered to. or uh, and, and it's difficult for them anyway because they don't have any ability to send the, the refund, the cost of that refund, up the line to the manufacturer who made the vehicle. So you get a, a very long, uh, very complete warranty, but the only remedy is that you continue returning for repairs. And we do see people who, over the five or six years of a warranty, might go back 30 times. Wow. Because the vehicle was never right or never stayed right for a very long time. Um, is this a manufacturing issue? Is this something that they should step in? I mean, over and above the shouldering the dealer with this? Absolutely. It's uh, definitely a manufacturing issue. I'll give you two reasons. First, 
the margin on a new vehicle sale is very small. The dealer might have only made a couple of thousand bucks on that yeah. vehicle for all the pressure and the closing and seeing your manager and trying to get you to buy extra doodads. It's a pretty low margin deal for them. So if they're going to take it back and have to sell it at a loss, they really do need support from the manufacturer. And uh, the second reason is essentially the dealer is on the receiving end. They don't design the product, and they rely on the car maker to tell them how to fix it. Uh, if the parts were no good to start or the design is, is wonky, um, they don't necessarily hold enough cards to make a bad car remake it into a good one. If I mean, is it possible to fix some of these? I mean, is it just a case of just diagnosing, or is it possible that you just get a dud and there's nothing that's going to do that's going to help this? Oh, for sure. It, 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 a vehicle is a complex, you know, assembly of different systems. So sometimes bad diagnosis or a bad process will uh, aggravate the problem. But we're right. talking in this case when we talk lemon law, it's relatively new vehicles. And mostly they arrive weird to start with. The problem starts with either, uh, you know, you got a dud on the assembly line or the manufacturer is just having a, a recurring problem that they haven't got, uh, they're not grappling with. And so they sell the vehicle, probably in, in some cases, knowing a percentage of them are never going to run right. Mm. And they just figure that the customer and dealer can work it out in the marketplace. And that's not correct. Is there any common denominator between these cars? I mean, is it is it usually if this happens, it's this type of issue. If this happens, it's that type of issue. Or could it be any number of things? Well, there's trends. So definitely electronics. Uh, the infotainment system, the stuff you have in the dash is way more problematic right. than 10 years ago when it almost never came up. Um, the uh, uh, vehicle engines today are not as reliable, oddly enough, because they're squeezing them to get uh, you know more fuel economy out of them. They're making them smaller. And we're seeing parts fail that didn't used to go in the old days, or, or, or running drivability issues that didn't used to happen. So uh, it would be it would be good after a certain number of repairs or a certain delay. Let's say I don't know how many days off the road, a couple of months. Right. That a car maker could be required to take back a vehicle. I'll give you an example. We have uh, people with an electric vehicle that they're paying, you know, five or $600 a month for, and they're driving around in a compact car that uses gas right now because the vehicle can be debugged. Now, clearly, the dealer isn't even trained to work on an electrical, electric vehicle. It's a new technology. Right. And the problem there is that the manufacturer delivered a vehicle that isn't right. I guess after a, a couple of months driving in a compact car waiting for uh, the battery problem to be fixed, I think would be reasonable to expect an exchange or a right. refund for another car. Um, EVs any more um, uh, reliable or less reliable? They've said that EVs have less moving parts, so there'd be less issues. Are there just as many issues with those as there are with other cars? Uh, for an all-new technology, they've been surprisingly good. Yeah. So I think the future is promising, but there are some EVs that have been been crippled from when they arrived. Mm -hmm. uh, Ford uh, has had issues with EVs on the Focus, uh, battery problems that could not be resolved. Uh, owners have to wait months sometimes for resolution. Um, Nissan, which is the least, is the most common EV out there, and there have been some issues with it. I'd say its reliability is not better than a, a good gas car, but um, overall, EVs promise to change the nature of vehicle servicing dramatically going mm -hmm. forward. 
Um, what about other countries? Are there other countries? What about the U.S.? Are there other countries that are doing this better than we are? Well, that, that's why we have, uh, you know, we, we live in terms of consumer protection in the shadow of the U.S., which is often the leader. And I believe now all 50 of the U.S. states have a sort of lemon protection. So where after a certain number of times attempting to repair a vehicle or a certain number of days off the road, usually it's newer vehicles, so they're a year or two old, but not older, uh, you're entitled to ask to have your money refunded or at least uh, at least to give the vehicle back and get an allow um, partial refund with a deduction for use. And so that's what APA would like to see in Canada. We, we have an arbitration program. It's run by the industry. It's little used. I would say it's well run and it's quick, but it's not really effective for taking back your bad car. So that program really needs some kind of a definition for what's a lemon, at which point the car maker would kind of be on notice that they have to take the car back. Uh, does it matter new versus used, or is this just a new car issue? There are a couple of states, I think, that have a used car lemon law, where um, uh, if certain major components go within a short time, you can ask the dealer for uh, what's called a cancellation of the sale. That would be a very good remedy, but that one would not involve a manufacturer. The retailers only, and the retailers are a very powerful lobby. I don't see any problems uh, coming up with something like that. What would Ontario the- has some reasons. I mean, for a certain number of reasons, like a, a misdeclared odometer record, is a four or five reasons where you have what's called a rescission remedy that actually allows you to cancel the sale on a used car, but it's not used that much. Uh, do you see this getting any traction? Is it just a matter of time before we're doing this? Although we do hear that cars are, you know, are, you're saying sort of the opposite, that they're more reliable now, uh, less need for this. But, but Cars are less reliable now. Yeah. Just go on the web. Look up Hyundai and Kia. Their engines are, are breaking down all over the country. Really? And they're great products. We recommend the cars, but the engines are more fragile than in a Hyundai or Kia from 10 years ago. Hmm. So, absolutely. And they're not alone. BMWs, their four-cylinder engines can't stay together. Uh, they used to be known kind of for their engine, you know, engine technology. And yet, I guess in the rush to make the engines more fuel-efficient and cheaper to build and lighter their car makers are running into trouble. And so I would say today's vehicles are a bit less reliable hmm. than they were. They use less fuel. They have wonderful systems on board that you know, would have been unheard of um, 10 or 15 years ago, even on the most luxury high-level model. But um, they're more finicky. Hmm. George Inney has been with us, Automotive Protection Association. George, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, let's bring in Lorraine Sommerfeld, auto writer, post media, mother load column in the spec, and host of the Lemonade Car Show. She is with us now. Lorraine, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, how you doing? Good, and you? I'm good. We're at Soup Fest eating soup. Want some soup? What do you need? <laughs> we got it all. We got everything here. And I, but I, you know what? I don't find chicken noodle. Where is it? Come on. Oh, you can get right. that out of a can at home. I oh, know. Yeah. I, I think that's what the point is there. All right, what are you driving? Did I lose you? I'm here. Oh, okay. What are you driving? Um, nothing right this second, but I bought a new car last night. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Why would you buy a car when people are always giving them to you? Well, because I believe auto journalists should put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, so, so yeah. sh- should I ask you what you bought? Well, George is going to kill me. We work together, but I bought another Elantra because I have a lot of faith in them. <laughs> so you know George. George says that cars are... are uh, we, we've always talked that they're more reliable, they last longer now, they seem to than they used to. 
George is alluding that they might be less. Well, I think he made a really good point, which is we've, we've been on shows together all week doing these, because um, I do a lot of work with George, and you don't see the rust you used to see when yeah. we tend to think a car is falling apart or not lasting. Um, if you're a certain age, you remember rust showing up and yeah. you can see it. Yeah. Now the problems are more of the electronics, and yeah. he's right. It's gimmicky, the tech. The tech will break on you, and if right. they say that component's $8,000 for a module, yeah. you're going to go, it's not worth fixing. Um, yeah. They're safer, and for a lot of people, they are more reliable, but when there's a bug or something wrong, you don't want to be the one that's got that car. It's going to make you insane. What Do we need a better lemon law for, for Ontario consumers or for Canadian I, consumers? I believe we do. I'm in agreement with George on this. I think consumers deserve a definitive definition I use those two words together? That's lazy. Um, it should be spelled out so that we have more guidance. Can we get it? Can we come up with a definition of a lemon? I mean, well, we kind of we start to eat away around the edges, and yeah. you look at other programs in the state. Some are good, some aren't. It just depends. But if you have a car and you go, okay, I've owned it for six months. It's been in the shop for two months. Yeah. You know, I've had a loaner, or they've tried to fix X four times. Like, give people some numbers to work with so they even know because. Consumers, especially from car manufacturers, we're kind of left in the cold. It's a big, big purchase. Yeah. And we're, we're scared about it. And you get on the road, and if it fails, you're terrified. So what what can you do if you think you've got one of these? Well, right now, um, George is alluding to it, the CAMVAC program, which is an arbitration system that the manufacturers pay into. Uh, doesn't work if you've got BMW Mini or Mitsubishi. They're, they don't play. Right. Um, but you can go through CAMVAC. He's right. They can do some really good work, but it's small numbers. And it's also, I wouldn't go to a CAMVAP arbitration meeting without a lawyer and my mechanic with me because yeah. you're kind of outgunned across the table. Well, you know, and as I'm reading some of these stories on what some of these people have been through, it's like, my goodness, the, the work you have to do, the prep you have to do to, yes. to get it there is, is, you know, again, you need a lawyer. It's, it's overwhelming and it's onerous, and CanVap is not happy with me right now because I said it's intimidating for people. This is not a circumstance you expect to find yourself in yeah. when you've bought a huge product. Anything else you buy, you call whoever made that washer or dryer yeah. and say, get it out of here. It broke. Mm-hmm. You know. Whereas a car, which is huge, you're the one stuck trying to keep together files and get yeah. you know diagnoses from two or three places, get another opinion. Why? Why do I have to drive all over and get it? Yeah. Don't I have to work. Do I have kids? Yeah, yeah. What so. does the manufacturer do with these vehicles um, once they get them back? Like, what do they do? Like, can you fix them? Can they do something you can, or do they just pull it that, apart? I'm just guessing now. I, I don't know. I don't. It would. They should crush them. Yeah. Um, maybe they auction them. A lot of stuff goes to auction. I tell you, anyone listening, never go to a car auction to buy a, a car unless you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they hide everything there. Are you surprised at the number of, like, out of 169 total cases, 42 buybacks, 45 repairs, 76 no liability? So they're buying back almost what they're repairing. Yeah. I guess the rest are just saying, no, not my problem. Yeah. it's The numbers don't surprise me, but I know it's got to be so frustrating because by the time you end up at that table, consumers generally are reasonable and they're honest 
like they're normal people. Does it matter? Does it matter if it's a car that's been around for a while that they've been building for a while? Is it happen? Does seem to happen more on newer vehicles? Uh, You know, George was alluding to the the technology that's put into the cars. I mean, you know, if a car they've been making a car for five or six or ten years, are you just to assume that you know they got it figured out by now? Well, there is something to be said for long model years like if they're a little long in the tooth they're, yeah. they're bulletproof it. they're they're good like go yeah. buy a dodge caravan they you, you're gonna know it's gonna eat the brakes but other than that the thing's been around forever same with you know the crvs yeah um, I, I wouldn't buy a first model year anything ever yeah yeah my dad um, used to say that all the time it's, it's true your dad's yeah. right <laughs> yeah. um so what does what sort of recourse do we have if if you found yourself with a car that's in the shop more than it's in your driveway well, like I said, go on the CAMVAP site, and you can talk to a counselor there. I'm going to tell people, though, if you have an issue with a car while it's in warranty, and there are uh, limits on CAMVAP, so check, it's three years, I think, or four years, but if you start having an issue with your new car or newish car, and you go in to get it fixed, they'll open up a ticket. Make sure they open it. You don't. You want a record. You want to start the paper record of this. Right. So every time you go in, yeah. you make sure they've opened up this file and added this and read it. Tell them you want to see it. You want to print out and keep right. your own file as well. You have to stay on top of it. You may not know what the words mean. Yeah. Stay on top of it and start doing some research. And I'm so sorry. There's nothing more overwhelming than trying to tackle this. <laughs> Any manufacturer immune to this, or do they all make lemons at some point? No, it's... Yeah, and even the word lemon, we used to throw around 10% of cars were lemons. People yeah. made that up. Made on a Monday or a Friday yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and the thing is, most manufacturers, it's in their best interest to make good product. Yeah. It doesn't look good for them with these headlines we're seeing that pop out. When you see recalls, recalls aren't bad things. Recalls mean um, they're fixing getting ahead something. of a problem. Yeah. And they're fixing it, usually yeah. before you even know it existed. Mm. So don't get that out of shape. If you get a recall on something, take it in. They fix it. Great. Thank you. So manufacturers, you know, I like to see them doing their job. It'd be better if everything hit the floor working and bulletproof and with no problem. Yeah. But the complicated pieces of machinery. Lorraine Somerville has been with us, auto writer with Post Media, Motherload column in the spec and host of the Lemonade Car Show. Lorraine, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jamie. Scott. Uh, it is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. We are broadcasting live Soup Fest 2020 edition Hamilton Convention Center. Love to see you down here. You know, to heck with the soup. I've just found hottie biscotti. These are great. <laughs> you can dunk these in your soup if you want. Where's Biscotti Fest? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where's the Biscotti Fest? My goodness. All right. Um, it is, uh, oh yeah, we got a show. Lisa Pileski is here, uh, Global News Radio reporter. And uh, has totally embraced Soup Fest this year, I must say. How many, I, how many sh- are you up to? Uh, I had 13. And, um, yeah, I showed You're up voluntarily, full. by the way. I wasn't <laughs> meant to be here. I just decided I wanted to come and eat. She eat came soup. for fun. The soup kept her here. Yes. Um, so, anyway, basically this goes till 730 tonight. I, I hate eating and talking at the same time. Uh, 730 tonight, judging around 7 o'clock for the best soup. Come down here, buy a ticket. You get to sample so many uh, four-ounce bowls of soup from some of the best restaurants in the greater Hamilton area. And then you have to decide which one's best. And they will uh, reveal those results coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. All right, what are you up to? What do you got done now? Okay, so... Um, what did you try? I, I think I have of the 13 that I had, I don't have room for any more, but I have three favorites. Mm-hmm. That's the... Three? Yes, no, I know. You have to narrow it down. Okay. Listen, I'll try, right, I'll try. Right, but right. the three I like are Cream of Celery Root from East Meets West. Right. 
the shiitake miso soup from Goodness Me. Mm-hmm. And Is the, that the one with the um, with the sushi on it? Sushi on it. Yep. A, a and side of sushi on the top, man. <laughs> There's a meal right there. And the jalapeno con queso from Smokin' Candy BBQ. And that one had a little uh, nacho in it. Yeah, that was very good. That was yeah. good. Had a bit of a kick to that one, too. Yes, I like spicy, um, though. You know, I feel bad because I'm looking. I didn't eat near as much as you guys did, but... Um, you were, you weren't able I to run gl- around. I slopped a lot of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm looking at my... It now, and it's, like, pretty traditional. Like, a, a state Maine's bacon tomato. Like, how boring is that? That one was a but good was one. it was fabulous. Yeah. And Black Forest in uh, beef goulash stood out for me uh but anyway and by the way the hottie biscottis are good too i'm not sure where they came from but thank you very much <laughs> all right so are you is that it for you or are you gonna go out and have some more i think i'm done i'm super full but uh You're super full there. super full nice love to end on a pun <laughs> there you go uh lisa thanks so much for helping out well thanks for impromptuly having me come back next year we would love to have you sure all right lisa paleski uh, uh number two soup wrangler uh, and we invite you to come down and check out what is going on here. Open until 7.30 tonight. Hamilton Convention Center. Music all day and lots and lots and lots of soup. All right, let's move on. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.